Welcome back to the House of Hoosier podcast. This is part two of my interview with Archie Miller. What you, you graduate from NC State, yeah, and then you I guess you decide, hey man, I'm not going to play pro ball. You decide to get in coaching. What was what was that decision like uh, when you yeah, made? I'll it? be honest with you. I remember having a, a, a very candid conversation with my college coach Herb Sendek on a plane ride home. Awesome. Yeah, played at Florida State. I'll never forget it. We played mm-hmm. at Florida State on the road. We won the game. Uh, we were coming home after the game, and I don't know how he must have been bumping around the plane or whatever to talk to the players, but. You know, he kind of sat down with me at that point. We were coming down into the spring. Uh, we were having a good season. And he just kind of asked me, what do you, what do you think you're going to do when, when you finish up? And uh, I had already decided I was done playing. Yeah. I felt like that would have been a road for me that I would have tried, did it, and then at the end of the day had to come back and start over anyway. Right. Uh-huh. I said, you know, you know, I feel like college basketball, I feel like coaching, I feel like the game at some level, I don't know how I would leave it but I would like to coach. And uh, right. he gave me a great opportunity. He gave me like an office intern job at the time. It would awesome. Been, you know, had to be an intern at the time because I don't know if graduate assistant work, but um, yeah. that's where he kind of gave me a shot to be around the everyday office life. You know, you get a <laughs> chance to see the coaches, not the yeah. players. And exactly. then you realize as mad as you were at the coaches every day, they're probably just as mad at you when they're up in the office. You were down in the locker room all those times having all those conversations about coach, blah, blah, right. blah. Right. They, they saying the same stuff up here. Same stuff. You know what I mean? It's like it's no different, you know. Right. So, but it was good to be in the office around Coach uh, Sendek because he just forced even me at a very, very young age, like how organized, how on top of things you better be, uh, staff meetings, you, you got to have your, your ducks in a row in terms of what's yep responsibilities were so he gave me that opportunity right there and um, that's where it got started any aspiring Hoosier out there who would love to get into coaching what would be your, what would be your advice to them well I think you know the first thing with coaching is and I always say this um, you're you're very rarely going to get hired because you're really good right you're gonna, <laughs> right you I learned that really, yeah. you could be really good like really good coach <laughs> great with players you could recruit, yeah. you can do a lot of good things but the key is, like, who do you know? You know, who do you really know? Who are you? Right. Because I think how as it goes, you know, your circle gets, you know, strengths as yep. you're older in coaching. It doesn't really expand. You keep guys really tight, you know, and you keep yes, the ones that you really trust, you know, at the end of the day. So I would say young people growing up have to find a way to network, meet people, be involved with people to show these guys that, like, hey, this guy's really good at, at what he does. I think that's probably so key for, like, graduate positions. They get a chance to get in yeah. there and they can really work at it. Where, you know, I think the one holdback in the college profession, if you look back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, when college coaches could go out and work camps and do different things. Yeah, yeah true. You just really were able to really be exposed to pro coaches, uh, heavyweight college coaches, or heavyweight basketball people that can speak for you. Yeah. And now it's so restricted in terms of what you're able to do out there to branch yourself, to show yourself, that you really kind of get locked in with who you know. And uh, right. me, to me, that's the biggest deal of, of coaching and getting in is – got to find a niche of people that, that, that you really like. They like you and you work at it and then you develop a network because if you have no network, man, you could be as talented as, as you want, but, you know, trust and who you know becomes, you know, probably more vital than anything. 
Absolutely. That's great advice. And I hope I hope you guys are listening. Uh, that's it's just the way things are. People think it's just because you got the greatest X's and O's or you love to watch the most film. It's all about who, you know, and creating that network. And you definitely did that. You spent a season at West Kentucky, two at NC State, two at Ohio State, two at Arizona. And then you get an opportunity to coach your own team. What was it like getting that first? Actually, let me rewind that a little bit. You had a top 10 recruiting class prior to your first opportunity at Dayton. Who was in that recruiting class at Arizona? Oh, man. I think that um, the recruiting class that um, we had got right before I left was, I think, Nick Johnson. Here. Okay. I remember him. Yeah. So Nick, Nick Johnson, uh, Josiah Turner, Sadiqi Johnson were committed. Yeah. I think maybe even Angelo Chole may have committed late in the spring after I had already left that first class. Nick ended up being an All-American at Arizona. Um, you know, that first year, I, I had a great relationship with him, but I had a great relationship with the kids at Arizona when I left. And that's mm-hmm. people don't really, you know, you move on, man. And when you move on, it's kind of like you just erase what you were doing for the rest of your life. And then you exactly right. Scratch. And like when you go from, you know, like you said, you go from Western Kentucky for a year. Uh, mm-hmm. I recruited Courtney Lee, you know, at, at Western Kentucky. Anthony yes. Lee, they had a great team. You move on, and then you go to the next place, which was NC State. Arizona State, I'll never forget it. And we got to Arizona State. I'm in Phoenix for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. West Coast, and, like, I think maybe second, third day on the job, you know, we were going to sit in front of this kid, and the California coach was going to bring over – Reggie Morris was going to bring over one of his players. His right. He was, was being recruited a little bit by the Pac-10 at the time, but, you know, he was going to probably make a, make a decision on Kent State or Miami or Florida – and uh, he was an L.A. kid, and uh, I said, all right, so who's, what's the kid's name? And uh, I'll never forget Coach Sendex said, yeah, you got Reggie Morris is going to bring over this kid from uh, Louisiana High School. Um, his name's Russell Westbrook. Oh. I said, all right, let me, let me look him up. Let me see what he's – let me see. Right. Yeah, let me see. He had a couple games of 50. He took an official visit to Kent State. I'm like, Kent State? From really? And I'm like, man, nobody's recruiting him out here. And uh, I'll never forget, we sat in film, watched film with Russell, whatever. I thought we were going to get him. And then uh-huh. the deadline hit, and Jordan Farmar uh, decided to enter the NBA draft. As right. Well. And when he did that, UCLA picked Opened up. And Russell stayed at UCLA, and the rest is history on The rest that. is history, right. Triple-double machine. But that's what hey, you I did not- when you make these moves. A lot of stories, a lot of people you come in contact with in the recruiting, um, you know, on and on, you know, great relationships at every place that I've ever been, really, with, with the guys that I worked with and the players. Being one of the top recruiters, is it more difficult to recruit today with all the social media outlets, with all the attention these kids get? Is it more difficult or is it more difficult, you know, in the nine, late 90s, early 2000s recruiting? I definitely think there's I definitely think there's a different element to the recruiting game nowadays with the social yep. media. Yeah. Uh, there's no secrets. You know, back in the day, you used to be able to find your niche and find a couple guys and, you know, bulldog the recruiting a little bit in terms of, like, the underground, uh, be able to work the kid, work the mom without a, you know, not everybody's filming them every time he's in a layup line, you know? Right. Now, <laughs> right. There's no I secret. Can't stand that, man. <laughs> hey, you, you can find a great player, a sleeper, and the next thing you know, one article goes up and, boom, it's just like. It's, it's gone. gone. Yeah, that's true. Instant instantaneous blow-up opportunities for kids. Yes. 
But um, I think, you know, everything is the same in recruiting. At the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, how hard you work with the connection to the important people in the kid's life. And then do they believe in, you know, at the end of the day, what you're talking about. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, it, I would say it's a lot more distracting, you know, nowadays. Yeah, for sure. It's really yeah. distracted in recruiting right now. Uh, I think kids and families can get distracted with what's going on around them. Yeah, and that's true. As you're recruiting, you really have to, like, Every article that comes out doesn't mean it's a pretty accurate article or every know yeah. on a kid um, that comes out, you know, uh, you know, doesn't mean a lot. You know, it's just, oh, he just retweeted this guy. Or, hey, he right, just, yeah. <laughs> just mean on, oh, my God. Like, right, right. <laughs> you know, this is too much, man. It's, it's so much. much. It's so much. And then you got to answer all these damn questions. It's like, I don't even know this kid, man. I don't even, you know, it's just, it's just so much misinformation out there. Um you you had a lot of success at Dayton though, and uh, you know I I used to pick you guys in the tournament, especially your last couple of years. You had went to the Elite Eight. I'm like I'm picking Dayton. I just love the way you you taught. I just love the way you taught defense and the way that you you had your guys defending, making plays off the defense, getting out running. How were you able to to create such a culture at a school that was smaller like Dayton? Well, I think you know the one thing at a place like Dayton is. Um, until you're there, you don't realize the passion for basketball. Right. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible place uh, to play. I mean, the players there are treated second to none. Their experience there as a student is, is like, um, it's as good as it gets. And uh, they can be, as they showed last year, I mean, they, they, can, they can legitimately contend for a Final Four moving forward. I mean, I think that their facilities and everything that they got going on. But we recruited guys that we felt um, had a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. Uh, were a little, you know, under the radar, too small for the Big Ten at times. Um, you know, maybe couldn't shoot quite good enough or, or whatever. Right. And them guys, man, it just seemed like at the end of the day, we were very fortunate as we built that one of our teams, our Elite Eight team, uh, really, you know, to me, uh, bonded, experienced highs, experienced lows, and then experienced the ultimate highs. Yes, yeah, sir. I think when the team of guys that came back off that ultimate high uh, you know how it is. When you win on the biggest stage, man, you don't forget it. Right, absolutely. Those guys never forgot how we got there and how we did it. And yep. they stayed, you know, very rarely are you going to get an OB. You know, OB yeah, for sure. <laughs> National player of the year at Dayton, whatever it is. But you know, you're going to get really good players that are going to get older. Mm-hmm. If you do it right and you take a couple impact transfers along the way, you know, that, that come for the right reasons. You got a chance to have a really talented group, which is what we did, and they stuck together for a, a long period of time and won a lot of games. And uh, I think yeah, that, you did. Uh, by the time we finished there, I think most of the players that uh, you know we had had there had great experiences. They got their, absolutely got their degrees, and you know I'm happy that uh, at the end of the day they have a place that they call home. They all go back there, so you know it was a good experience. Hey, I better see me a, a Archie statue up at Dayton at some point when you're done with this thing, because <laughs> I I ain't know what the hell Dayton was until you start coaching there and start making some noise. So, and I mean that sincerely. <laughs> the funny thing about it is AJ Don Donaher uh, was is and was still to this day very close to Coach Knight. Okay, Donaher coached uh, with Coach Knight in the Olympic in the Olympic game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Donaher was there. I guess probably 25 to 30 years he won an unbelievable amount of games and uh, if you look at the players and the teams that he had over the course of the 80s uh, 70s 80s six, late 60s 70s 80s I mean they're as good as they were in college basketball 
And, uh, you know, with conference alignments, not having football at Dayton, their alignments in different leagues over the course of a couple uh, couple periods of time really sort of pigeonholed them as a mid-major. Uh, yeah, for sure. But they're the furthest thing from, from mid-major. I mean, when you walk into UB Arena for a game, it's as good as any environment that you'll play in. And, Absolutely. And the town revolves around, you know, basketball. They love basketball. Absolutely. And with that attention and that the success you had at Dayton, it, it brought you an opportunity to come to IU and be his 29th coach. Take us back to the night that uh, Dr. Glass called you and said, hey, we've chosen you to be the head coach at Indiana University. What was that like? And what, outside of your wife, who was your first phone call after that? <laughs> I would say that, um, uh, you know, I wasn't obviously planning on getting any phone call. I mean, oh, know, really? Not like you wake up and say, well, I hope somebody calls me today. <laughs> right. But, you know, lo and behold, we did have a couple conversations. And after a couple conversations, it turned into a meeting. And I think once we sat down and talked about Indiana, mm-hmm. university, uh, where things are at, where they want them to go, how they wanted to do them, I felt just really confident that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the, the way we do things would work. You know, we just needed an opportunity to be able to do it, um, you know, our way. And um, Right. But yeah, when 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 it became sort of official, um, you know, clearly my wife and my daughter. Uh, You're right. I was actually with my dad at the time. Okay. So to be able to tell your dad that you were going to be the head coach of, uh, for a guy like him, you know, he's thinking back like that's Bob Knight. You know, what I mean, absolutely. <laughs> so it was a it was a surreal moment, you know, at the end of the day for 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 me and my family. Nobody warned you about this wonderful, peaceful fan base that was awaiting you with open arms. Nobody told you about them. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about it is, you know, I don't get I don't get too bent out of shape about people wanting to win. Right, for sure. I got you. I got you. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, you can look at ESPN for the first twelve hours of the day, and I think the only thing they do on ESPN for the first twelve hours of the day is criticize every player and absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this fan base right here now, this is this is basketball 101. They love it. I mean, they love the players. Uh, the tradition is second to none. Uh, game day, second to none. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, they crave winners. You know, absolutely. And all we're trying to do is be able to make them happy. Absolutely. You so you was one of the rare people to get an endorsement. For, you know, obviously, I read this, but, you know, it couldn't be true, maybe not be true. You got an endorsement from Coach Knight. Uh, you had an opportunity to meet Coach Knight, and and what was your conversation with him like uh, once you received the job from Indiana? Yeah, you know, I, obviously you, you revere um, when you're here. You start to get a real sense of, uh, of the, you know, who was here before you, and uh, yeah, you know, no doubt about it. This the imprint of this program and uh, the tradition of the program. All the great players that came here and played, you know, it really starts and stops at some point with him, right? You have to be able to recognize that. And uh, Coach has been really good to me. You know, uh-huh. uh, you know, I've had an opportunity to sit down with him, I think maybe once um, once or twice in person. And right. Those, those conversations and, and some of the things that we've been able to discuss really don't center anything around basketball. Yeah, that, most likely. Most yeah. of the time when you sit down, I think, as you know, Coach Knight, you start to figure out this guy's really smart. Yeah, exactly. Some of the stories that he starts to tell you and some of the – you know, the, the, uh, 
you know, just just the the way that he talks, the way he's able to describe moments in time. Yeah. It's like you're in awe of him. He also scares the hell out of you. Right, for sure. You, <laughs> don't know, you don't know sometimes <laughs> he's playing with you. Yeah. Really serious. You have no idea. <laughs> kind of want to be a little guarded at the time, but uh, right. he's really good to me. And, um, you know, now that he's back in Bloomington, you know, I just, at all costs, anything that, you know, he needs, we, we want to be able to help. But we also want him to be uh, happy and just peaceful. You know what I mean? He's earned that. Yeah. Right. I mean, when you arrived uh, to, to IU and you wanted to, uh, you know, to re, I want to say reestablish the culture because I felt like Tom Crane did a really good job, you know, cleaning things up. He won some titles. He had some success. And but you had to come in and establish your own your own culture. What are you know, just for us coaches out there. And it's harder today because kids are a lot different. You know, it's hard to establish a culture and really, really stick with those those principles that that culture is about. How what, what are some of the steps you had to take to establish your culture at Indiana? Yeah, I think first you made a good point about Coach Crane. You did a great job here. Absolutely. Um, you know, had great players. Yep. Uh, a lot of games. And, um, you know, did a great job off the floor with the academics and whatnot. So, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for where, where he finished. And uh, I think, you know, like you said, though, you have to find a way how you're going to be able to do it your way. Yes. You're going to have to find a way how to do it with your guys at some mm -hmm. point. I think as we looked at it, we knew very early we were going to have a lot of turnover. We just were going to have graduation. We were going to have recruiting classes, and we were going to get young. And the Big Ten is probably the one league in the country that if you're young, you know, you don't get away with a lot. Yeah, exactly. You get away with a lot in the Big Ten if you're young because it's an older league. It's an established league at times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can get worn down. You have to battle through your battle, so to speak, to be able to earn the right. And I think that's where we figured out we were going to have to do it. We are going to have to get classes of guys in here. We were going to have to, uh, you know, be able to try to develop fast at times yeah. mm -hmm. by young people. And hopefully, um, you know, we can get our situation where our identity on both ends of the floors, uh, you know, starts to become habit. Right. Yeah. Develop a habit, the routine, the year to year grind. But this is what we do. We're there now. I mean, last year's team, you know, I felt last year's team coming into the season uh, with no preseason all conference guys, uh, really no double figure score on the roster, really coming back uh, early with Romeo and Juwan. Uh, leaving that we had a lot of a lot of different guys we have to put together, and I thought that team kind of gelled and figured it out. Had its ups and downs through a difficult league last year. Absolutely game. difficult. We figured it out again and started to play really well at the end of the year. And yeah, pandemic doesn't hit. You know we're playing in the NCAA tournament with a team that had a great schedule that I thought could have played against about anybody. You know, Absolutely, the league was so tough. And then you know as you're kind of heading into this year, now you're looking finally at some guys that have played minutes now. You know right. Like Rob Finnessy, who he's now played every Big Ten game for the most part without injury, but he's played a lot of minutes in Big Ten games with you now that he's a junior. You know, Al Durham is now a senior. He's played with you. So you're starting to see some guys that have now played in the games. Trace and Armand, as two freshmen, played a lot of minutes last year for us. They're yeah. back sophomores. So, and then you have your, your, you continue to bring in young talent and you need those, those guys to be able to mesh with the, the upperclassmen, which I feel this is a great mesh group. This group, this group meshes well. And what what is it? I feel for coaches today, especially at the power conference schools, who have to try to build a culture in the in a in a time of one and dones and people. And and it's really just wild wild west free agency 
at times when it comes to college basketball today. Explain to the fans who don't understand how difficult it is to build a culture. Because when I was coming up, when we were coming up, a lot of four-year players. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, Coach Knight, I don't think Coach Knight ever had a one-and-done. I, I really don't. I have to fact-check that, but I don't remember. I think Jared Jeffries might have been the first. Early, early 90s. Early yeah. 90s to mid-90s to late 90s. If you start to think of the great players, I mean, and how old they were. Mm-hmm. Grant Hill was a senior. He was a senior. Bob yeah. Hurley was a, Bobby Hurley at Duke was a senior. Um, you look at even the Fab Five, as crazy as it is, they, they were there two and three years. Like, that would never happen in today's game. The, and the other thing that's very different than it was, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, is the transfer field. So Yeah, man. Now you have the transfer um, things going on with even giving, you know, really at this stage as we move into next year, a lot of free moving parts all the time. So I think when you're building culture, the thing that helps you establish culture is getting older and guys that have done the, the battles. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, the thing that's tough is to stay old. Your roster right, is changing. Yeah. changing. Um, sometimes you get old by taking transfers nowadays. You know? yep. Sometimes it's not as easy to take four or five freshmen a year. Sometimes it's easy to take a couple transfers nowadays. Uh, so you have to really, to me, roster management, you know, you're a GM now. <laughs> management, man. You're always pigeonholing who's leaving, who's coming. You're yeah. always questioning who could leave, you know, during the year. Uh, and then yeah. you're on the horizon of what can happen to make us better when when you have the, the, the season end. So, I mean, your roster, in some cases, your roster doesn't change till the first day of school. You're right, for sure. Yeah. You And you – for, for all those aspiring Hoosier fans, and Hoosier has, fans have the, the best fan base to me in America because they, they just love basketball, the state of Indiana, period. When your coaches go out to recruit, what are, some, what are the non-negotiables you look for to Indiana basketball players? I think the, the biggest thing is, um, you know, competitiveness. Yep. I, don't think you can, I don't think you can put a value on how, how a kid competes and how a kid uh, wins. Right. It goes into that and, and mm-hmm. the fabric of where he's coming from in terms of the basketball fabric and his fabric that's around him. You know what I mean? You have to be able to be able to coach a guy that you want to, you want to, to coach your way. You can't yeah. coach way. It's not going to work, so to speak. But I think winning and competitiveness is, is, is the deal. And I think the second thing that we're constantly trying to find is, um, you know, that, that talent, um, that transcendent talent that you can see. Yeah, for sure. And you know that you can bring the best out of them, whether that's the weight room or whether yeah. that's your individual, whether that's your style of play. Who can fit what we do and get better? You know what I mean? Is this guy right here, boy, I, I believe in him because at the end of the day, I know with the way that we shoot the ball every day or the way that yeah. we train in the weight room every day that this guy's going to be able to really max out in a year or two. You know? So, I mean, I think – Winning and competitiveness is huge. I think the second part of it is that talent, but also that ability that you feel you can make better. Now, you, you're an ultra-competitor because first, people don't understand about you. You are you are a hooper first, and, and hoopers are, are ultra-competitive, and they hate to lose, and it, it carries over into coaching. Yeah. When, with, the, with the sensitivity today, have you had to rein yourself in a little bit when it comes to what you say, 
how you say it, give a little, maybe a hug after practice that you normally <laughs> wouldn't give. <laughs> do you find yourself having to do that? <laughs> I think everybody has to be mindful these days, you know, how, how you talk and, and yeah. how you talk. I mean, it's no longer, uh, you know, with, like you said, social media or, you know, what's acceptable, you know, to certain people. Just It isn't like, it. you know, you're not going to get tapped on the back of the head or, you know, you're not going to get in a huddle and somebody can grab your jersey. You know, you get in trouble for that now, you know. Right, for sure. I think that the practice setting is where you have to be yourself. I think in the game setting, you know, players have to play. Yeah, for sure. You know, not that you're not going to you know, show emotion during the game or whatnot, but I think what you do every day in practice and what you do every day uh, with your guys when you're working at it, uh, that's when they have to see who you really are. You have to be yourself. So we get after it good. Uh, but I think there's a balance to it as well. you got to get after right. it. At the same time, like uh, probably the greatest point that's ever made to me is like, you know, you got to be a teacher too, though. Absolutely. You a way to teach. You know? Yeah, the guy's really talented, and you can't teach him how you want him to do it, and that's on you. You got to find a way to teach too. So, how do you teach? And sometimes, you know, that's more one-on-one. That's more watching film. That may be you and a kid on the court by yourself, or you're comfortable, um, you know, just kind of explaining things. But definitely have to get after it. Well, coach, I got two hugs in my four-year career. Uh, one one was on senior night, and the other one was right there, yep. and that's that's considered a headlock. <laughs> so I'm a little bit I'm a little bit pissed that I didn't get a chance to come up in this area gets in this in this time period to give me some love, man. It's uh, we Calvert and I talked about that yesterday. The week when I played, we had a, three McDonald's All Americans leave at that time, and I was explaining to him. I said, "Man, it was just a transition time from players like yourself, players like myself, who who didn't need that in order to compete and succeed. We just wanted to hoop and win." And we, but we had players that needed a hug, and at that, they needed the love as well as the teaching, and and it was just a transition period. Now we're at the the ultimate end of it. To now we really see everybody has to change that, and, and I feel for those ultra competitive coaches like yourself that, and nine times sometimes you need to grab a mug every now and then. Hey, come here, man. Let's look at my face. I'm in. I'm. We in the battle right now. Let's go. You know what I mean. So, but now they can perceive that as. Abuse and it's like, damn. Okay, so I, mean, I think that's why you, you look at guys like Coach K. Yeah. Look at guys like uh, Tom Izzo. You look at guys that have really been doing this thing a long time that are, yeah. that are able to still be successful because you know how Coach K and Coach Izzo and, and how competitive they are. And they're able to still be successful now in this time with the great players that they have. And so there's, you got to morph, you got to move around, you got to be able to change a little bit around you every once in a while. But I guarantee you, guys that play for Coach K, guys that play for Coach Izzo, uh, they probably tell the same stories that they did to the guys that played 20 years ago. You just, it's a little different way of delivering the message, probably sometimes. Absolutely. I'm good friends with a couple of Michigan State former players, and they would say that Izzo's uh, verbiage was just like Coach Knight's, but you know, the difference was that his assistance and himself, you know, there was always a kind of a follow up to it. It was always a follow-up. If something was going on with a kid, the parents would be notified to say, hey, man, is, is everything okay with AJ at home? Is, you know, right. if, if something was going on. So that's a, a way to, you know, combat that. And I mean, I'm, for, I'm, I'm all for the player coaches and, and a little bit more love. But, you know, I just – we came up in a different time, man. It was like you either do it or you don't, you know, no, no love. Exactly right. Get the hell out. And uh, but I'm always mindful of your time, man. Just a couple more questions, man, with especially with the COVID 
and the pandemic and the social injustices. How, how is your team faring in this difficult climate and what things have you done uh, to help them, you know, cope with the players that are affected mostly by this? What have you done to, uh, to help them cope? I think, you know, very early on, um, the whole pandemic, you know, it hit. we actually played the night before in the Big Ten mm-hmm. tournament and got canceled the day of uh, the next day of the game when we were supposed to play. So it was sort of surreal that it was all happening. Then the tournament got canceled. And then next thing you know, you know everybody separated for like 14, 15 weeks straight. Absolutely. So uh, in, in the midst of all the 15 weeks, and then you had the tragedy with George Floyd. You know, that's yeah. so dealing with a lot of emotions with young people and, and they're spread out from you. They're not around you. You know, typically, you know, you know how it goes when you're, when you're with your guys and something needs to be done, you get together. Um, so learning how to get together. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like this on Zoom or whatever it may be. And we had a lot of conversations like that surrounding, um, you know, ways to stay busy, ways to stay productive, you know, during the pandemic at home, when, when you don't have the facilities, when you don't have this and that, uh, and being safe and smart, you know, yeah. This thing, obviously, at that time, we didn't know much about, but we're further ahead now, so trying to help them understand what's going on. Um, with the social injustice stuff, I think that just started really with a conversation, like everything. I mean, players need to talk. Grace, yeah. Thompson, Grace Thompson was in Minneapolis at, at the same time and participated in a couple um, uh, activist, you know, uh, safe and act- activist uh, opportunities that he had there, and you know, he was deeply impacted by it. Right. Like to hear him talk um, to me really showed the maturity that he had made as a person. Um, just an understanding, explaining it to our players. But um, we're talking about it a lot. I think yeah. had, as we head into the season, I think there's a lot of college athletes, a lot of players that, that, that stuff's on their mind, you know, just as much as it is with the COVID stuff. I mean, I don't want yeah. one, one, one being one A, one being one B. I mean, they're all, they're all floating around every day. Yeah. have to talk. Um, and, and the biggest thing is, you know, what they want to do and what they believe in. You have to give them the access to do that. In the right Absolutely. Yeah. Did you get you or your coaches uh, find yourself, uh, you know, kind of getting a little closer to the players, getting a little bit more intrusive on how they feel? Or, or are you guys just kind of letting them come to you if the issues uh, arise? I think you try to, you try to hit, it, hit, hit it on the head. You want mm-hmm. to get some things out there sometimes and see how they feel. Yeah, so for sure. That's um, you know, the, the social injustices or whether that's, you know, incidents that they're reading about, um, voting. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. vote, you know, there's all kinds of topics right now that, that the guys need to, you need to bring it to the forefront to see, see what they think, what they understand. And sometimes they'll bring them to you too. Sometimes right. you got guys saying, hey coach, I think we need to, we need to talk about this. We need to do right. That. I mean, you have to, you have to do both. Um, you know, it's, it's like a family, man. You know, absolutely. Like a family, it is. It's it's like having you know, twelve or fifteen you know sons, and, and then you got assistant coaches. I mean, you got a big group of people that you know care. But I would say that once the pandemic you know really started to evolve and we started to get further away from each other and further away from each, it became much more about how's everybody doing rather than are you were staying on your conditioning, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it became much more about how are you handling this? How's your mom doing? Is she is she working right now? You know, how is your sisters and brothers doing at home without going to school or you having to take care of them? And there's all kinds of things that you started to really think about, you know, on how these guys were being impacted. The normal everyday life had changed so so drastically at a young age. Um, and they're watching a lot of struggle. I mean, they're watching a right. lot of struggle, whether their families 
you know, had to stop working or whether, you know, they, they couldn't go anywhere. They didn't have anywhere to go. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of different things, I think, that put it in perspective of what they're going through, which you need to be mindful of. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the NCAA doesn't, it hasn't got enough credit. I think they, they've made a lot of the, the necessary adjustments to help our students. And you bring up, uh, and I remember when I was at Northwestern, there was, a, I, there was like something uh, that the NCAA allowed you guys to do. So if a player couldn't afford to go home for a funeral or something like that, they're able to fly and do a lot of different things. They were getting food. Some were getting payment. Uh, the last couple of things, two things I will to talk about are, I know I was when I when I was in college and I was younger, I was against uh, players being paid, uh, you know, but, you know, as I got older and I said, eh, you know, but also see what issue being paid could bring. Um, do you think that uh, college players being paid uh, to play is the answer or is there another answer uh, for 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 making this and uh, equitable for everybody? Yeah, I don't know if um, if it's going to solve. All, all the problems, but I, I will say this: that the, you know, the game has changed so drastically to television revenue and the amount of money that's being brought in right now due to the sports. Uh -huh. You know, it makes some sense that the guys that are that are playing every night on television and doing everything they can uh, for the schools to be able to be able to help themselves with their own name, image, and like Absolutely. Okay, paying guys' salary for stipends and all that. I don't know about all that. Yeah, I, know, I don't either. <laughs> I know all this. Um, you're a great player at Indiana, and you know, you're an All-American, you know, and they sell your jersey. And I'm just putting an example out there. Your jersey, for sure. Your jersey's out there for young people to buy. Right. Why should, why should you not be able to, you know, prosper off of that? That's, that's you, you know, that's who you are. And same thing with, you know, advertising. Same things with uh, you know, social media platforms right now, how things are growing, you know, in just, in just a, a fast way that, you know, these young guys and, and girls in general, just to go to college, have a lot of on their plate. And yeah, just, for sure. Just because you play there nowadays for four years or five years, you get your degree and then you go on with your life, doesn't mean that that time period, you shouldn't have something to show for it, in, in my opinion. Um, because a lot of, as you know, a lot of guys when they're done playing ball, they're done playing. They're not going to play anymore. You know, they're going to have to go earn a, earn a living doing something else with your education or whether, whatever you want to do. But, you know, your time in college, you know, you get that one opportunity, you know, and if yeah. you're able to do it right, you can do a lot of good for yourself. But in the meantime, while it's going on, definitely should be able to help um, and should be able to put people in position to be able to, you know, bring bring more positive things to their own lives, you know, through their own name and the likeness. I definitely believe in that. Absolutely. Um, I always thought like, hey, it would have been awesome to have 20 grand to, once I graduated from IU, to access, to get my life going or to, you know, just so, so I don't have to be out there struggling for a job, but I can actually live a little bit before I get my next job. I think, you know, I, I do understand the Pandora's box that it opens if you start paying people. <laughs> Your players will start pulling up in Bentleys and right. <laughs> you're like, hey, where you get it's, it's definitely um, from the outside looking in, I think it's easy for everyone to say, hey, um, you know, they have student athletes have this right to make you know money. They, they should have this right to do it from the inside looking out, you know, being able to police that stuff and being able to. 
figure out how this is all going to be navigated and monitored. You know, I just you know, that that's that's an answer I don't think a lot of people have, which that's why it's going to such a level of being Absolutely. out, you know, how they're going to pull this off. But it's coming. And I do think that Indiana University has been talking every single day to Scott Dolson. Um, I love the way that they've approached it just in terms of trying to be at the forefront of Absolutely. Uh, being one of the, the leaders in name, image, and likeness. So I really, really like uh, the plan. I love the talks. We talked to Mark Cuban. We talked to, we talked to a lot of different types of people about yeah. you know, how this can transcend um, things for your own student athletes in general and the perception around your athletic department. So Scott's yeah. doing a great job with that. And um, the administration's really, uh, to me, giving me a really good vibe that uh, Indiana is going to be one of the leaders in that talk. Yeah, awesome. And lastly, man, give the fans, the fans would like to know what, you know, give a kind of an in-depth analysis of your first couple weeks of practice, couple practices, how the team's looking, uh, who's, who's shining a little bit. And uh, what we got to look forward to this season if we're fortunate enough to play? Well, I think that, uh, number one, we have a, a, a really likable group. Yeah. Uh, we have a group of people that, that as you watch them, it would be hard for people to uh, not like them. They like each other. They play for one another. Uh, they work with one another really well. Our young guys have fit in seamlessly, and our older guys that are all back from a year ago have really uh, done a really good job, number one, bringing them in. But mm-hmm. I think just in general, we have some guys with some experience. And I think that we have some really talented playmaking opportunities for guys uh, that, that can really do some things that we haven't been able to do in the past, just in terms of being able to play with some space. Um, I think yeah. that's good. Defensively, you know, I think each team that you have is a little unique, but we're going to, we have a chance, I think, to be, you know, a quicker team, a team that is more deflection oriented. It's more harass-oriented than it is. Hey, we got bigs. We got size. We can protect the basketball. We're going to have to get after it in different ways defensively. But I like this team. I like this group. They're, they're fun to coach. It's nice to go to practice every single day and, and know what you're getting from every guy. Um, you know, I think Trace has really stood out here in the first few weeks um, of going, you yeah. know, the easiest jump you make, not easy, but the biggest jump you make one year to year two. You know, yeah. you know he's a second year. He's through that first year. Um, and we've been dominant at times um, in practice, but we have a lot of improved guys. You know, I think yeah. Trace Thompson's really improved. He's used the off season to really improve his game. He's he's, he's been able to uh, establish that how important he's going to play a role for us. And uh, our young players are all uh, super gifted, and they all have yeah. a chance in their own way to really impact the team. I don't see each. I don't see one player that doesn't have a chance uh, to really contribute this year. So. Um, it's a good group. It's going to be a good group to watch. Uh, it's going to be a difficult navigation with COVID and yeah. stuff that's going on and scheduling. It's just, it's been a mess, but if you just erase all that and you just look at your guys every day in practice, you say, you know what, these guys can put a couple of these couple of things together and we could do this well. This team can play. I mean, this team can play a little bit. So uh, I'm excited. Excited. We got some, we got some uh, knockdown shooters out there. Some we got, we, they, they really improved their outside shooting. Really worked hard on it, and uh, a couple of our returning guys, like Al, who played last year, and Rob, both finished the season last year, really shooting the ball well. So I think they have confidence right now coming in off the off season. Armand going from his freshman to his sophomore year needs to make that jump. Yeah, he's gonna be fine. Yeah. And our, we have three of our four freshmen that are on the perimeter: uh, Anthony, Trey, and Christian. Mm-hmm. 
have all shown the ability here in, in early practices to uh, go on spurts and make shots and do some things. Yeah. I think all three of those guys are going to be uh, you know, really good players. Jordan Geronimo, in time, is really going to be, uh, to me, a unique player for us as he continues to learn the game and his niche because he's got a good skill level, great touch, super bouncy. Yeah. Well, right now he's uh, much stronger, I think, on the rebound and the defensive end than he probably is offensively, but I think that'll come as he learns. Uh, Absolutely. Jerome is a big part of this shooting thing, too. Okay. He was really a freshman a year ago. He shot 41%, I think, in his last 11 games from three. And uh-huh. now that he's got that first year under his belt coming off the injury, uh, we're going to need Jerome to really be a different type of player this year, especially shooting the ball for us. He's got to space the floor. Okay. Awesome, man. Hey, hey, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to talk to me, man. It was, it was great to get to know you, man. This was more about you than the actual team. I'm sure you're going to talk about the team all year. So I don't want that to be the gist of it, but I learned a lot about you. Great hire and Coach Hunter. Uh, I had a chance to meet Coach Hunter, you know, when I was out on the road. And he was one of the few assistant coaches who actually sat down and talked to me. And I, I always remember that because some, you know, some was just so wrapped up and what they got to do or just don't want to give you any game. And Coach Hunter got, uh, you know, gave me some game. And, and when I saw it, I was like, that's that's a great guy, man. So I want to commend you on that as well. And always thought, always was um, happy when you got the job, man. And um, it, was, I think it was between you and Chris Collins. Not between you two, but I know Chris Collins had, had uh, got a call. But I'm like, eh. I like I like either one, and and it was like one A or one B, and, and and you and your style I think is uh, conducive to Indiana basketball. That starting on the defensive end, toughness, competitiveness, I think that's that's the in a consistent manner as we talked about. Coach Crane did a great job, uh, you know, in his in, in his time there, but just making it consistent to where that's what we see every night, win or lose. That's what we said. I think you're going to bring in. I'm not tooting your horn and saying that because you're here. I thought that from the beginning. So I wanted to get that out there. But, man, hey, have a great uh, preseason, man. I hope we get to see some college basketball, man. And, and, and so put this uh, stuff all – put that ball in a basket and get Indiana basketball in, in, in back in the competitive frame. So um, we'll be in touch with you, man. Thank you for your time, Coach. Uh, anytime you need me, let me know. And I appreciate uh, I appreciate all the all – the- all the, uh, the good things and whatnot. But uh, as you yes, know, sir. it's a great place. And uh, yes, sir. I'm glad you're able to get out here and get a lot of our guys. Uh, you know, hopefully as, as time goes by, you bring a lot of the old characters back to the uh, back to the forefront. Absolutely. That, that's the goal. We're going to be there to see you, man. I missed you down there at the reunion. You were in a hurry. You guys had a game. You came and spoke to coach and you darted out of there. Yeah, you know, you had a game. So you guys were preparing. Um, you know, I know, you know, mm-hmm. COVID really stops some things this summer, but as soon as things get cleaned back up, I know that we're going to have uh, everybody back. Absolutely. All right, Coach, man. Have a great day, and thank you. Thanks, man. We'll see you. All right, peace.